Hey, Modern Commerce, welcome back. We're at it again. I'm here as always with my guy, John, and we're gonna be doing a very cool interview today. Uh, we'll get to that introduction in just a second. Before we do, you know I gotta bring him in. John, how you doing, dude? I'm doing good, man. Uh, it is currently Christmas Adam. This is like Adam before Eve, Christmas Eve, Christmas Adam. It's day before Christmas Eve. Um, and I'm excited to have the conversation we're about to have today. We have Sarah Levenger, uh, bringer. Yeah, thank you, Casey. Good job, producer. Uh, Sarah Levenger from HG Performance Creative, uh, co-founder of HG Performance Creative, and uh, one of the most well-known psychology-based advertising, that's probably the best way to put it, psychology-based advertising experts in at least e-commerce, D2C e-commerce community. Sarah, welcome. Good to have you. Thank you. Oh, oh my gosh. That was quite the intro. Is that true? <clears throat> That's interesting. I, um, it doesn't have to be true. Shh. <laughs> That's the best have you not learned anything selling things online? <laughs> None of it has Absolutely. to be true. Thank you. I'm super excited to chat with you guys today. First of all, this is probably going to be the most fun podcast I've ever done. Don't tell anybody that. But yeah. Don't you have a podcast? I Okay. And this is a weird story. <laughs> I have a pod. I had a podcast. Had. Previous. Time. Had. And then my sponsor, unfortunately cut their sponsorship and so i had to they like let me go oh like, they like basically you got fired by your sponsor got fired by my sponsor which is totally understandable sponsors do that from time mm -hmm. to time but i am super secret top secret knowledge here i am going to start uh, my own podcast here in 2023 so just you you have a co-host uh -oh. i mean are, I are, co you don't want to yes uh my co-host is not on twitter which is hilarious um she's like <laughs> not anywhere mine. in this <laughs> <laughs> See, we, okay, so we'll have similar podcasts, parallel podcasts going on here. Yeah. Uh, the best co-hosts, I think, are not on Twitter. They have a totally different outside opinion and viewpoint yeah. of what's happening, and I appreciate that. Yeah, they don't get in that Twitter inside, like, little <laughs> echo chamber. Yeah. yeah. Yep, um, room, 200 people. I yeah. agree. I agree, <laughs> yeah. you guys, you know? Okay. Yes, yep. that's, why, that's specifically why Casey's not there, not because he just doesn't do any social media at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's purposeful. It's on purpose. So, Sarah, give me, yeah, tell, tell us your background. What do you, what do you call them? Authority indicators, right? Tell us why yes. people should listen to you, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, give me your background um, and, and kind of how you got here. Yeah, so my authority background um, started when I was 20. So that would have been 2000 and my gosh, what year did I graduate? I graduated in 2007. <clears throat> so long time ago. Um, I tried to go to college for like a hot second, really hated it. Um, decided it was just not for me. I got two semesters in and was just bored out of my mind. Classes moved too slowly. I was just like, can we speed this up, please? This is going way too slowly. <clears throat> so I had a, a professor and I think it was my sophomore year told me, Hey, if you really like marketing, graphic design and all these different you know, types of things, you can actually go do this without getting a degree. You could just get a job <laughs> and go work in this industry. And I was like, cool, great. I'm not going to spend any more money on this. I'm going to go to work. So I quit that, that particular period of my life. Uh, what segued right into a job where I was in brand performance. So it was just like a whole lot of graphic design, making sure everything that went out the door was exactly the same every single time. And it was for a water testing company. It was not exciting. It was highly boring. A, what? a water testing company? Water testing company. What does that <clears> mean? They tested water for things like calcium and fluoride and like they just made instruments that tested the water. 
So they didn't test the water. They made the instruments. <laughs> they made the instruments to test the right. water. And my job was to create like trade show like promotions and yeah, brochures okay. and trade shows. Like, so there, man, there are trade yeah. shows for every. They're trade shows for water testers. Yeah. Oh, that one's a big one too. It's a global. I learned, one. Yeah. I learned something new today. It's why highly. Are they, why are people testing water? Topic. That's not a topic for this podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, for them, it's really interesting if you have to test wastewater or things like you know septic water, those type of things, like. My husband bought one of their instruments to test his fish tank. Oh, yeah. Just make sure if you got like saltwater fish, they don't die or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's water testing instruments for literally. Casey, you're nodding like you already knew all of this. Well, I mean, this is common knowledge. I don't mean to like poke at any one place, but like, what's the first thing you think about when you think of Flint, Michigan? Like the Flint, Michigan, Megable, obviously. Well, okay. Sorry. My fault. The tropics. And then, yeah. Yeah. Clearly, there's a segue to it. Um, right. Yes. So that's where I started was water testing instruments and branding because uh, I really loved art and I was good at graphic design and I tried to go to school for equine science and figured out I hated blood. So that didn't work. So I, I went into graphic design randomly. And then for the next 10 years, I was a freelancer. I just worked as a freelancer and that's how I pay my bills. And I figured out pretty quick that I was fairly good at it. During that time period, I was doing something else that I didn't tell anybody I was doing. I just did it because it was interesting. I uh, was going to the library and checking out books on marketing to get better at marketing. And right next to that section, because that's how the Dewey Decimal System works, was a whole section on psychology and like neuroscience, consumer behavior, economics, like those type of things. So I was checking out these giant textbooks, very boring, like thousands of pages long and just like devouring them. Just couldn't get enough. I should have gone on psychology. I should have gone to school to be, you know, a, a therapist, counselor, that type of thing. But I ended up in marketing first, so that's just kind of how that happened. So for the next oh, 10 man. years, I just – every book I could find, every single one across the board on psychology and, like, consumer behavior. So then, obviously, I fell into a lot of different things. I did WordPress websites, uh, SMS, email, like, all kinds of stuff as a freelancer because that's what you do as a freelancer. And then I accidentally fell into paid advertising when one of my clients asked if I did lead gen Facebook ads. And I was like, absolutely. I had no idea how to do them. But I was like, yeah, absolutely, I do them. But I can, yeah. I'm a pro at these. When, <laughs> you're, a when, you're, when, you're, when you're a freelancer or like a small, like when Casey and I were just like a two-person agency, the policy was essentially like, if somebody's offering you money, say yes. Yes. You know, like, yeah, 100%. I totally can do that. Yeah. Yes. Because you, you just never know how easy or how hard it's going to be. Now, if somebody came to me and said, like, can you code my app? Yeah, I'd probably been like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but that's how I learned to do everything in my freelance career was somebody asked me if I could do it. And I was like, absolutely. And then the next day I go to the library and check out a book and learn how to do it. So I'm lucky that I had uh, a high level of proficiency in literary learning is what I would call it. I could read well. <clears throat> you could and then read good. App- I could read good. And then <laughs> application. Like I was really good at applying what I learned. So fell into lead gen ads. And then I had another client who said, do you do this for e-com or DCC? And I was like, I don't know what that is, but yes, yes, I do. <laughs> And that was probably about probably about three, four years ago I fell in e-com and just like loved it. As soon as I got into e-com and DTC, I could not get enough because performance Facebook ads were very different than Legion. Legion was the longest game on the planet. It just took forever and like attribution was everywhere. Tons of, of like gen? freebies and what kind this of was for oddly enough, I had a couple of hotels up in Jackson Hole. So it was all for like group sales and hospitality. Uh, if yeah. that sounds interesting, it was not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've Terrible. done some lead gen and it's almost never like anything too sexy, you know? 
It was so boring. It was so boring. And it took months and months and months of the same ads. And I just tweak like random things at a time. It was just boring out of bored on my mind. <clears throat> so I got into e-com and that was like clearly way faster. And there was mm -hmm. a lot of volatility in it. And that was like just about right before iOS 14 hit. So as soon as iOS 14 hit, it was like full on. Everything was up in the air. Lots of things exploding. Everybody talking about like, what are we going to do type of a thing. So I kind of accidentally shifted into building more creative. I was a graphic designer by trade, obviously, since I was like 20, 21. So I started building more and more creative and adding in the psychology on top of it. I would just layer in on top of the designs, all these different psychology tactics of like pricing psychology and color psychology, gender psychology, those type of things. And it ended up that I started seeing such good results that uh, my boss at the time, which was Matt Lady, um, I don't know if you guys know Matt, he's fantastic. Yeah. He basically was like, can we just not have you be a, a media buyer? Because <laughs> you're like a decent media buyer, but you're not a great one. But you're really, really good at psychology-based creative. Can we just shove you into that role? And I was like, great, fine. That was fantastic. So that happened for like a tiny little bit at the end of last year. I kind of rode the wave of UGC and tried to get into that as a little bit. I wasn't as like keen on UGC because it's hefty. It's time and hours into that one. So at the beginning of this year, <clears throat> I dove straight into creative strategy and I've been here ever since. Amazing. So as you talk to brands, either consult with them, um, do like, you know, just hear pain points uh, in discovery calls, things like that, or with the brands that you're working with, the brands you're working with probably don't have these problems, right? But um, <laughs> no, of course not. The, right. No problems. They're just hundred <laughs> percent. doing hitting every They're just goal. scaling and growing. Every um, yep. Hey, what's up? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That is uh, live There's podcasting. Sometimes kids come in when you forget to lock the door. <laughs> it's adorable though. Adorable um, break. Yeah. My daughter came in to give me the remote to her nightlight. Thank no you. context. No context. Just as you I do with the now, child. Let's see you segue that one, John. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. There's colors on there. Um, there you go. <laughs> Uh, so what, what would you say? What was I in the middle of here? Uh, what would you say? I, I got one for you. I made a pretty little banner here, so I want to put it up on the screen. Ooh, yeah. Casey made something, like... so he's going to change the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit here. We got a little derail. I'll, I'll, I'll let you think a little bit. Um, I wanted to know if you could give me just like a one to two sentence answer kind of on what do you mean by psychology based creative? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I get this question a lot, which is good because I have an answer for it. <clears throat> Psychology-based creative is basically what I was talking about before, taking the creative that you're building for your ads and layering in psychology on top of it. Psychology is obviously a huge industry. Like it's a very large study form. So mm -hmm. it's one of those things where I have basically targeted down on which pieces of this giant massive you know, field of psychology we're going to use for creative. Most of the time it has to do with matching imagery to message. Yeah. So it's a okay. combination of imagery and message. So, so what cool. is it that what is it that brands are typically missing on when you're when you're like again doing discoveries, talking with them, consulting with them, they're not hitting goals because you were kind of saying like is, there's some things you layer on to your creatives, um, and a lot of times it will increase conversions, increase sales. What is it that they're usually missing on, or they're not thinking, or what is the, like problem with their mindset? Yeah. So usually the brands that I work with come to us. <clears throat> for two different problems. One, they either have very, very high acquisition costs or two, they have very, very low conversion rates. Like they're, they're just not hitting on their ROI at all. So 
when we go into building any sort of like psychology based creative, we start with something that almost every brand in the DTC industry, at least is missing, which is large amounts of targeted, validated consumer research. The big brands have a ton of this, like they have entire teams that are just built for market research. And that's all they do all day long is like, you know, they'll build a convenience store just so that they can watch how consumers walk through it. And then they'll change their marketing depend on what comes back from that data. DTC doesn't have this, which is tough because we are entirely online based. So we can't build a store just to watch how our consumers walk through it. The nice part about DTC though, is that we have the ability to get real time data and massive amounts of it because we are so intricately connected to the social media aspect of buying. Mm -hmm. It's the data. We need more consumer data to be able to do this well. So how is it? So what do you, so, so typically brands, you would say have it and are ignoring it or don't have it. In my experience, I've seen more that don't have any, they have built a customer avatar that they generated from like an online template about five years ago. And Uh that's the same template that they've been using for ever and ever. Uh, they can usually tell me the age of the person they're going after and the the gender. And that's mm-hmm. about it. They can't tell me anything else, though. So that's an extremely limited amount of data. We need tons more and go way deeper, not necessarily wider, but deeper yeah. on the data to be able to make good decisions. So, yeah. Got you. So, so what is an example of, or like, how is it that you, like, I guess, find that information? Yeah. So there's plenty of ways that you can do this on your own. One of the best resources that I found is actually Reddit. I like to go to the free resources first. I think there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good like websites and apps that you can go to to kind of glean this information sort of. My issue with that is everyone else is looking at the same data as well. I want to go to the resources where people are freely giving the information and actually telling me a story of how they actually found a solution to their problem. Um, and I want to see it, like I said, updated in real time. I don't want to read something that's from like 2020 or even like 2022 really is kind of outdated data at this point. So <clears throat> when we go and do our research, we do a couple different things. One, we'll go through on places like Reddit, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. We'll just read as many comments as we can, not necessarily from competitors. Because mm-hmm. again, depending on the message that your pet competitors are sending out there, they're bringing in a totally different person than you may want to bring in. So Reddit is the first place we go. And usually I'll just type in R backslash, like whatever the topic is, you know, collagen or shoes, whatever it is. And you'll get hundreds of thousands of different like posts from people. And they'll give you these full on stories of I was with my mom in the store and like she's had a really hard time with her skin lately and we're not sure what to do, blah, 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 blah. We ended up at this particular product. We love it. You guys should try it. And then you'll get like comments below that. We'll take that, put it into a spreadsheet. After that, once we have kind of just a tiny clear picture of it, The next thing we do is actually go and analyze the comments on the ads and sometimes the reviews. Um, We kind of take a little bit of both for specifically language analysis. And the reason I'm doing language analysis because how people talk about things changes how they feel about it. So we'll take down tons and tons of comments off the ads and into the reviews, into a spreadsheet, and we'll categorize them one by one based upon nine different emotional categories. So these nine categories are based upon a whole bunch of different things, lots of different like psychology models. Like, you know, I, one, the, one of the one, biggest ones that probably comes to mind is, um, I think, uh, is it Maslow's law? <clears throat> I'm like totally blanking on it right now. Maslow's a hierarchy. Thank you, Maslow's hierarchy, yeah. So basically coming down to what do humans need to survive, right? Love, yeah. security, 
food, clothing. Right. Like there's, there's a baseline of the pyramid yeah. and that is like shelter, food exactly. and water. Right. And then there's yeah. like one level up that's like, you know, like nice to haves. And then like at the top is like self-actualization, right? Yes. Like as humans, yeah. we don't really need self-actualization. In fact, that's like a pretty recent thing uh, mm-hmm. in human history, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, that's like first world problems. Like once we have all this stuff, like we don't need to worry where our next meal is coming from. That's yes. when we're like, who am I? You know? Exactly. Identity is very interesting because it happens to be something that's at the forefront of most first world countries, but not a whole lot of like second and third world countries. It's not something that you'd see come top of the list for people's needs. And, in those and furthermore, I would, I would even go so far as to say most e-commerce products if you and I should pull up like a graphic of Maslow's hierarchy of needs so we could get it exactly. But like if you actually look at like what we're selling, the direct solution that the that the products address, like the direct solution. Now, there's, you know, deeper stuff. Right. But the direct solution that the product addresses is usually like in one of the top couple pyramids of higher Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Like, yeah. no, we're not solving people's like hunger, like, you know, right. We're not solving like shelter problems with, uh, e-commerce products. A lot of it is, you know, oh, here's a product that is in, we're trying to associate it in a way that they want to associate themselves with. That's all self-actualization stuff, right? Like best case scenario, we're like one tier down, right. Into something that's a little bit more need-based, but like, that's the thing about e-commerce is that so much of what we're selling in first world countries, especially, um, is like very, very much aimed at the top of the pyramid. Yes, hundred percent. And this is this is tied to identity identity in particular. Yeah, so, oh, this is right, yeah. <clears throat> so at the at the very bottom is going to be the stuff that you have to have just to survive physically, and mm-hmm. it moves up in in basically levels of importance. By the time you get to self actualization, everything below the the top of the pyramid has already been achieved in yeah. your life on a consistent basis, like. Sometimes you may not feel safe. Sometimes you may not feel loved. But for the most part, those are already solved. So by the time you get to the top, this is where DTC actually lives and breathes and thrives. Is like yeah, love and belonging like, up. Yeah, exactly, love and belonging up. So it's interesting though that you notice about this particular pyramid. This is something that follows a lot of like psychology models. Is the fact that every piece is attached to something below it, which gets deeper in the subconscious. Mm-hmm. So 95% of our processing power of like decision-making skills or understanding things, conceptualization, those type of things comes through the subconscious. So no matter what we do on a daily basis, the base programming, the, the core of it is through the subconscious mind. 5% of that is dedicated toward conscious. The conscious can usually process somewhere around like 40 to 50 bits per second. Um, the subconscious can process about 11 billion. So, or I'm sorry, 11 million bits per second. So because of this, we are basically operating from a core, almost instinctual standpoint for everything we do. And I'm going to get a lot of people coming back being like, nah, Sarah, like I'm fully in control of everything I do. I make all of my decisions. And I have to tell you, well, science would say otherwise. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> oddly enough, my husband is one of these people that just keeps buying stuff. And he's like, I've made a logical decision. I actually went and researched all of this. But if we go down deep enough, I'm like, honey, you bought this because you wanted to have a good experience with like our son, Max. Like you bought this because you wanted to make your wife happy. You bought this because you wanted to make your dad happy. Like there's always a deeper reason for why we're purchasing things. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think the, the way that it's summed up oftentimes is people buy based on emotion and then they rationalize with with some kind of logical, but, but it's, I mean, and this is, we, this is a tangent we might get into, 
uh, males and females rationalize a little differently. Mm -hmm. Um, but the core reason that people are buying, it's the same, right? Like, like those core needs, core human needs or core human like desires are the same. Um, you know, and we just kind of rationalize differently. So that's why it's interesting. Like marketing to men, women, not really like fundamentally different. You just have to like that stuff that it's like gets them over the edge. Hey, once you, once they're sold on your product and they need to rationalize it, like that's the only different stuff. But a lot of times that's what we focus on, right? Like how often is it that in an ad, you know, the main thing that gets recommended by the ad agency or whatever is like, Hey, we should just have more testimonials. Right. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. testimonials are great, but that's like, that's like one of those, uh, things that that's like one of those rationalization things have other people tried it and does it work for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Like someone else said it totally worked for them. You know, that's actually like a more of a female, like rationalization tactic, whereas males will rationalize some other way. Right. Yeah. Um, like, oh yeah, it could practically help me in my day-to-day life somehow. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Like, you know, at the core it is hierarchy of needs or life force eight. You know, I, I like that as well, that kind of model, but Casey, you unmuted. Do you have something to say here? Yeah. I <laughs> kind of wanted to touch on, uh, you know, I, when I think... we talk creative, Casey does jump in. <laughs> well, I mean, creative strategist by trade here. Yeah. So, um, I, I do enjoy your, your viewpoints on, on these topics. And I think sometimes that as, as professionals in marketing, uh, sometimes creative, you know, now it's, People know it's an important factor in marketing, but it kind of gets put off in this silo, like, and over here is creative. When when you kind of dive into the deeper, like, psychological reasoning behind things, like, you can kind of imbue psycho- uh, psychology-driven, like, messaging and, and different hacks in there into a lot of different things you incorporate into yeah, marketing. Like, absolutely. with that mindset, it can change the way you look at everything, really, ra- mm-hmm. other, rather than just kind of, like, we're going to swap through the, this like silo of creative and see which one has the highest row as and put more budget into that. Like there are different, more creative ways to, uh, uh, I think I said it off camera, but kind of read between the lines and find new ways to get data, even new yes. different types of yeah. data that you don't look at traditionally, uh, which is why I do enjoy your, your system so much, your method, I guess. Um, yeah. I, I just wanted to ask, I guess, have you seen any, like, have you seen much resistance by maybe like more uh, traditional style marketers and how do you oh, deal with yeah. it? <laughs> that's one of the biggest problems I have at this point in time, honestly, because uh, anytime you get into paid advertising, there's probably about four tactics that we use, which is such few. I mean, there's just hundreds and hundreds of different psychology tactics that we could use to increase scale and to build brand and those types of things. We really use about four over on the paid advertising side. Authority proof is one of them that comes out pretty easily. Your doctor said you should buy this, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Social proof is heavily overused. I think that yep. that's what I would term lazy social proof, right? Which is let's just throw a testimonial on there because it works. Real social proof, when you do it correctly, basically creates entire cultural movements. So, for instance, there was a, a time period where Apple, before it came out with like the i i what they call it iPod, I guess is what it used to be. Um, they were competing basically with mp3 players right and every mp3 player you could buy was black it was always black or it was always gray even the like i'm dating myself here but the walkman that we used to have that like you couldn't bounce it because it would skip the cd that was also gray right everything on the market was gray when apple came in they noticed this very quickly uh, at least their marketing team did and noticed that everybody had either a black walkman or black headphones so what did they do they chose to do white everything Mm-hmm. They didn't necessarily take their product and match it to what the market had already said they liked, which was black everything. They said, we're going to be completely different, white everything. Now, they didn't just roll this out and say, get a white iPod. They just built it and started selling it. 
And the majority of the people that started adopting this, early adopters in the marketing space, the early consumers, then now they have these white headphones in all the time. So if you notice somebody with white headphones, you automatically know that that's an Apple-based product. That is social proof. Mm. It's not Absolutely. a testimonial. It's not an ad. The only thing that was different was that now there's a ton of people walking around me that have these white headphones and mine are black. What do they have that's different than me? And I want to find out what it is type of thing. Real social proof builds move- movements. Yeah. Does, I, kind of kind of on that belonging kind of stage. Right. Yes. Kind of, you feel like the odd one out and you see these little white uh, yeah. buzz in people's ears and you're walking yes. around with your, yeah. your discman and you're uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 get on this. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, herd behavior at its finest. Yeah, you're, got you your, oh, it. dang it, my CD is skipping. Got to skip tracks. Uh yeah, and there's multiple brands that have done this, but Apple in particular did it really well. Just changed this the color. Is, so much of what you say like triggers. I'm like, oh, I have something to say about that. Um, but I'm <laughs> supposed to be interviewing you. Um, so, but but yeah, so something you said earlier that I want to call out is so conventional, conventional like I don't know, regurgitated guru uh, wisdom. Mm-hmm. It right now is uh, check the Amazon reviews for products for your product and competitors yeah. check the comments yeah. for your product and competitors like do you know what a lot of amazon reviews say ship super fast yep. exactly as described ship let me tell you something your customers are not buying <laughs> like that's like that's like a like they don't even know that until after like they're not they're not buying the like back pain product that you have because it's yep. going to ship fast to them you know they're like buying it because they have back pain so i you said something <laughs> earlier like going into Reddit and actually getting into the topic and like understanding like the true, like what is the pain point that people are having and what is the, like, you know, what, what other solutions are they trying and why isn't it working? And then using like what you said, word tracks or like pulling the comments and I think you called it language analysis. Mm -hmm. I would, I would simplify it and and say, what words do they use to describe it? Like, how do they say it? Not how would I say it? Um, but how did yeah. they say, you know, I have back pain? Yeah. Um, because, I, but the first step is actually understanding what the true problem is. It's not just like pulling a comment, right? Because I think it's like we pull comments or we pull reviews and we just put them up there because we're like, oh, yeah. it's in the customer's words. So it'll be good. It's like, yeah, but you missed the point. Like they don't care about the fast shipping before they yeah. bought it, right? <laughs> um, or before they've even realized like what problem it solves. Uh, so one thing I wanted to ask you though, is what does psychology based creative look like? I, I have a couple things maybe I want to dive into what does psychology based creative look like for things that are like really, I would say very up there on the, on the hierarchy of needs in, uh, my dad would call, my dad would say, uh, you know, for shit you don't need, right? Like, like <laughs> yeah. here's, this is a brand I work with, right? Like on wallets, right? Mm-hmm. It's minimalist wallets. They've got like the cool little like switchblade feature yeah. thing. Yeah you know, super common in the D to C space for brands to sell something like that, that it's like, it's cool. Right. And, and if you look into their messaging and their branding, it's all about like minimalism and, and carrying what matters, you know, with you and also like carrying what matters in your life and not, and letting things go. But like, you can't really communicate all that yeah. like on first touch, uh, you know, so whether it is you're communicating like product or brand, um, what does it look like for something like that? Right. Like, yeah. Where, where it's like we can't because I think sometimes uh, 
you don't want to kill anthills with atom bombs. Like you, you don't want to get into like, are you having self identity problems? Like people are just going to be like, all right, I'm, I'm out. You know, <laughs> the wallet's not going to fix my self identity problems. Totally. So, a Facebook won't know. let you do that anyway. Right. Um, like you got to like subtly like help I, them realize it, yeah. you know? This is something that I, I just posted earlier this week is I truly believe that it's the subtle that sells. Yeah. We are not obviousing our way into like people's wallets at all. You can't, you can't just come in and like be blatant car salesmen and people are like, yes, where do I sign? We hate car salesmen for a reason. It's too obvious. And humans, especially, especially in America, because we are built on an individualistic Puritan society, we're very, very sensitive to our ability to be able to like cut through like the bull crap. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on here. Anyways. <clears throat> Bombs away. Bombs away is the policy. The bullshit. So <laughs> in America in particular, our, our type of consumers are very concerned with like, I'm able to see through the bullshit and be able to figure out like, is this a good deal for me? Is it not? So this goes down into why would anybody like purchase? It. Yeah. Why would anybody purchase from a band brand to begin with? Why do I even purchase from brands? Sometimes I feel like as marketers that like the longer you've been in the game, the longer or the harder it can be to kind of draw back to that, like yeah. civilian mindset. I always say civilian for anything. <laughs> we're not. But yes. like the, 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 when you don't know, you know, it's like, I wish I knew what I know now when yeah. I was younger in marketing, because you have all the incredible insights you need early on. Yeah. But you don't know how to use them yet. Yeah. You pick up all the skills and you can't, your brain changes the way you think. I mean, I will spite, a brand just because I know they only got me with their marketing. I'll be like, I don't think I'm going to like this product. Yeah. And I'm just jaded. You, get like, by... you, you automatically put up walls of like, how dare you? I'm a marketer. I see what you're doing, <laughs> which is hilarious because as marketers, we sometimes fail at marketing because we are out of the matrix. Absolutely. You cannot market to like matrix people. If you're out of the matrix, it's like the, it's backwards freaking thinking. And it drives me insane. All the I love time. that. Bring in, that's very on brand for this show to bring it back to like a movie uh, yeah, trilogy no. <laughs> from like, you know, 15, 20 years ago. I don't even yeah. know how old the Matrix a, a is. A total now. millennial like, movie. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. once you're out of the Matrix, you, you just, you can't go back in as a marketer. And sometimes right. you need to sit down with someone who's in the Matrix. I'm lucky enough I'm married to one. So you can actually understand like, why the heck do you do what you do? Because again, I talk about this a lot too. Stop listening to what your customers say. Stop listening. That sounds counterintuitive to what I just talked about, which is like analyze the language, blah, blah, blah. But I want you to take this with a grain of salt of like, don't what do they listen mean? to what your customers say. Listen to what they do. What are they doing physically? Because everything you do on a physical level will tie back down into what you feel on an emotional, personal level. So back to like why we purchase from any brand at all. I hate to break it to every brand on the planet, but you are not convincing anyone to buy anything from you. You are not convincing or persuading people to purchase from you. The only thing you are doing is somehow standing in front of them when the need meets the solution. The need is already there. It's been existing there for possibly decades for a lot of us, especially if you're in your 30s and you grew up with like 80s parents. The needs have been there for a long time. Like we've been having issues for constantly. So our needs and issues are pre-existing. And the only thing we're doing are, is subconsciously looking for the solution and you just happen to be in the right time in the right place. Now, does that mean you have no control over how many people purchase for you this month? Absolutely not. Like, I'm a marketer. I truly believe in the power of, like, social media, of brand, of getting out there, of putting your voice out. 
but it's my job to make sure I'm in the right place at the right time. Opportunity meets skill set, right? Yeah. You can't convince people to purchase from you, though. I, I have I, a, a little tiny one off, and I do have a question actually at the end of this. But I, I want to say the <laughs> stop listening to what your customers are telling you. That's like that's the first three seconds of an ad right there for for your uh, for your agent. Thank you. I should use that. I'm gonna write Here's that down. Hook. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because that's one of those things like you got to hear it. Super counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah. what you mean by that? <laughs> and the guru, the guru kind of regurgitated info is like, well, what? Like, read the reviews, listen to what mm -hmm. the customers say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, your customers so aren't gonna tell you what they want, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> my question that rattled loose there as you were talking, um, I can already tell by the, the mindset you have um, and the number of brands you've worked with, you had to have run into this situation before where there's somebody internally at a brand who is kind of the creative director or something, and they don't see what you see, they don't yeah. understand, and they want to kind of put the, you know, put the wall up on some of your ideas. What, what would you say to a person like that? Because brands we know, they can tend to like smell themselves and they overthink branding sometimes. Oh, and yeah. uh, I, I'd love to get your perspective on branding, but I always think of it as like the only reason worth doing something in the name of branding is because the way your brand makes somebody feel, they recognize the feeling. It doesn't yeah. come down to brand colors like we exactly. talked about briefly before the show. <laughs> yeah. Please, what, what's your yeah. opinion on brand and how do you deal with those that type of situation? Yeah. So I, I would say in the consumer's eyes, the brands are fitting into an identity they're trying to create or already have created. So the brands themselves, especially the ones that come to me with very old school thinking, not necessarily dated, but just older school, older fashion. It's usually the media buyers that I have to sit down with and have a conversation of very frank, like, I know you want it to be this way, but that's not the way it is anymore. And we have to segue out of it. I don't, I don't believe that like foundational, functional, old school media buying will be a thing from here on out. I think we're moving towards something else. I think brands are going to start to hire creative strategists that have media buying skills. Very different role. Uh, I have encountered a few brands who are not able to see what's coming. Like I'll come in with the psychology base. This is where we're headed. This is what we're doing. Yada, yada, yada. And they will come back with, I, I don't agree with you. I think you're wrong completely. And those are the brands that I hear a year later have filed for bankruptcy or are losing media buyers constantly, or like their turnover internally is ridiculous, or they've turned off their ads because they can no longer make them financially work. Old school brands tend to not um, evolve easily. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, it, it, to, to, if I were to, I was so, so, and maybe we can play this game, but I, I was thinking the other day, if I were to answer some of the hard questions people ask, uh, in a sentence, like one sentence, if I were to answer the question, like, why do people buy from a brand in a sentence? It's a kind of a confusing sentence, but it's something like, um, people buy from a brand because they want to be seen and talked about the same way that other people they know associated with that brand are seen and talked about. So they don't necessarily aspire to be them, but the things they hear people say about them yeah. are the same kinds of things they want people to say about them, right? Yeah. So like my wife buys from a brand because she knows, uh, you know, so-and-so influencer or other person she knows or whatever like uh, oh somebody somebody referred you know referred me to it or whatever that's like a really common reason like civilians say they bought something somebody else like told me that it would work 
Um, and it's like, well, why did they trust that person? Because the things they think about that person, oh, like she's a really good mom. I love the way she like, you know, connects with her kids or how they have, do all these activities or the way that she hears other people. And that's even more powerful. The way she hears other people saying those things about that person. Yeah. That's like what she wants people to think about her. Yeah. Right. And what she wants to ultimately yeah. think about herself as well. Right. That's so like that goes deep into labeling and hierarchies, which is right. something humans hate and it's something we talk about a lot nowadays is like don't label don't put a label on any of it we automatically do it it's a natural human trait but it's interesting yeah. something you said there that your wife basically attributes good mom to this particular influencer right, right. and in her mind or good, it, it, it will be more good. specific than that she'll be like i like how she does this kind of stuff with her kids or yes. like she creates connections amongst the siblings really well yes. like things that she hears people say about them yeah. Or she thinks about them. She's like, I want, like when I'm not in the room, that's what I hope people say about me. Yeah. Right. Like she wants the label. There yeah. was a step and this is, yeah. here we go for another millennial reference for everybody. Like there was a stand-up comedian I saw in college who, who said something like, I would like to thank the company affliction for notifying me of who all the douchebags are. Like, <laughs> like it was like, oh yeah. Like if I, yeah. if somebody's like, Hey, that guy, that guy over there in the affliction shirt, like if you're a millennial, you know, totally. instantly you're like, Oh, the douchebag over there. Like that's who you talk about. I guess we can't uh, expect an affliction sponsorship. To I, you know, probably not on this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, Thanks, well, you know, maybe that's what they're after. I don't know. Maybe they're like, yeah, that's our market. Maybe we want to be a douchebag. hundred yeah. percent. We're a douchebag brand that I, I find really interesting too, because, um, like I said, the how you label things changes how you view it entirely. And branding is all about labeling. Label your brand. Do not just sell brown suede shoe. Label the shoe. Give the shoe a name that nobody else can take from you because then you will build brand easier. If people can attribute your particular product to some sort of label that fits within the hierarchy of what they're trying to create, you will never, ever fail. <laughs> The yeah. brand will just explode and that it'll be your entire life is, with this brand. Uh, yeah. We, we, we don't talk enough about how important labels are for humans. It's very important. Yeah. Especially when, I mean, people don't, like you said, people don't like it. Right. Uh, yeah. Something you guys were talking about earlier and I was like, oh man, have you ever tried to like ask like a, a civilian as we're calling them? We all have significant <laughs> others who are them, mm -hmm. like why they bought something. Like it's yeah. like freaking peeling an onion to figure out the real reason they bought it. You know what I mean? Like there are so many layers you got to get through to be like, oh, there's like the deep psychological reason you bought this yeah. thing. And even still, they won't say it in a certain way. So um, one of the things that you said is like, I think the subtle cells, I'm going to, I'm going to disagree a little bit with you here. And this is something I want to uh, get into specifically too, is like your thoughts on like traditional classic direct response advertising, like the stuff that people used to like put into envelope, the sale 10 page sales letter people used to put yeah. into envelopes yeah, and say, yeah. um, like, I think generationally millennials and Gen Z are like, Oh, that's so uh, uh, yuck. Right. Like just mm -hmm. yuck. That's, that's awful. Um, but like, if you actually get into the psychological reason, like peel the onion all the way back, the core reason they bought it is something. And a lot of times, the reason subtle sells in uh, a pair, let's say apparel, right? Or a lot of the e-commerce stuff that we buy is because the like societally or like our, we, we're kind of conditioned to like, not, we're not supposed to 
care about that like deep reason. You know what I mean? Yes. Right. We're so like if I bought this shirt scared. because I'm like, I think this shirt makes me look good. Mm-hmm. You know, I think my wife will think I look good and I got a better <laughs> chance tonight. Like I'm not supposed to say that. You know what I mean? Like, like if that's the deep change. reason it's there, but like I might even not personally acknowledge it. You know what I'm saying? So you I'm might not get... know that you have it is the scary part. Yeah. Yeah. I might not even real, like it might be so deep that I won't even, because in like, I'm conditioned to like not acknowledge that or not like, so, so things that are seen as vanity or not seen as like, and that's what a lot of e-commerce brands are is they're selling this aspirational and we've Mm -hmm. all been taught like, yeah, don't care. You shouldn't care about keeping up with the Joneses or you shouldn't care about aspirational stuff. But the fact is that we just kind of do. Right. Um, But we don't want to say that we do. Right. That's why it's like really hard uh, to to peel it back. And that's why you can't just go on the nose and why that classic direct response advertising seems so yucky to a lot of people in the D to C community is because for the stuff we're selling, you, yeah, you can't, it would be killing, killing anthills with atom bombs, right? Like it would be going too hard at the like real, it'd be addressing the elephant in people's rooms in a way that they're very uncomfortable with. Yeah. Uh, but in other inf- industries, we see this, right? Like in info, this is how it's done because yeah. it's okay to want to better yourself. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like when you're selling a course or an info product or whatever, it's okay to want to better yourself. It's okay to want to learn how to make side income, right? It's that's yeah. all okay societally so we can just hit it right on the head and go right at it so Uh, all of that kind of advertising still exists it's just that you know like we have to be culturally aware um yeah and generationally aware as well i think this this is something that i don't talk enough about and maybe i should probably talk more about um there is a huge amount of studies coming out right now actually that are trying to figure out the correlation between how you were parented and how you purchase things so this aspect, this idea of like, we, don't, we shouldn't care about the labels, you know, we're not going to put gender labels on anything, we're not going to put like sexual like labels on anything, we're not going to call out anybody for any sort of label they previously had. That's actually pretty new. That's not something that we've had for a long time. So this direct response, like old school thinking was very, very prevalent for a long time because of the generation that it evolved from, which was like Mm -hmm. boomers and silent generation before them. So if you go back to 1920s, where it was like really, really prominent and and worked really, really well to have good copywriting in particular, Mm -hmm. that was based upon the generation and their medium and form of consuming information, which was newspapers, radios, those types of things. As we go through though, we see different parenting styles rise up. So silent generation was very like authoritative, right? Yeah. You should speak when I tell you to speak type of thing. Like you need to just sit in the corner. Children should just be seen and not heard. That rose up and kept going up until about the 80s when we started to see a little bit more of like a flow between authoritative and not necessarily permissive, but a little bit more of like attentive parenting, right? So the 80s were much more attentive parenting. So like my mom, who was a boomer, was very into parenting her kids, like listening to your feelings, but also like, I'm a working mom. I don't have time to like sit here and be super into your life. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're just gonna have to figure it out, right? So I grew up in that age of like attentive parenting, but not permissive. Once we hit about early 2000s, we saw a new generation of basically anybody before me. So it was like 40s-ish. That particular parent had a little bit difficult time of the boomers being too authoritative. So they switched completely. They also grew up in a very different time period where they remember a time before internet, but they rose up in a very volatile political time that was basically a duplication of like the 60s, 70s, right? So we had like Mm -hmm. a ton of crazy stuff happening politically, yada, yada. 
all of that boiled down into a parent who who raised new millennials, which are like coming up in their teens and 20s now, who are very much used to being told, do whatever you want. Everything you think is amazing. There's nothing wrong with you. You mm -hmm. shouldn't have anybody tell you what to do, right? Not necessarily a bad thing because yeah. out of that rose a ton of emotional care for people that we had never seen before in the parenting space. But because of this, we now have boomers who enjoy reading long text, give me all the information, I'm an yep. authority on myself, so that's how I want to be marketed to. We right. have old millennials or Gen Xers who are like, I understand the internet, but I'd rather just like, you just explain to me what the benefit is first. Direct response marketing works really well for me. And right. then we have like baby millennials and like everybody below them basically, who like to be marketed with entertain me because my parents told me this is how I consume information. Right. So every generation has its own way of consuming information, which leads into how they want to be marketed to. Uh, yeah, I, I would at the core, it's, at the core, it's similar, right? Though, like, it's like, um, it's just, it's a medium change and like a length change and a language change kind of, right? Yeah. Like what are the word tracks? Uh, but like, for example, go look at like some of the TikTok UGC ads that have been really effective. Mm-hmm watch them, listen to them, and then go read like a long 1950s sales letter. It's like the same format. Yeah, like this, it's, similar. Oh, I was having this they're problem and I, I tried this and I tried this yes. and nothing would work. It's the same thing, right? Like, yeah, yeah. uh, same and content, I, like, found that, different medium. yeah, it's just a different medium. Yeah. It's a different, like, you know, they'll, they'll pay attention to that person because that person entertains them. Like you said, right? Mm -hmm. Like they want to be entertained. So they'll pay yeah. attention to someone who typically entertains them for, you know, sometimes multiple minutes selling things yeah. to them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's it, it, it like at the end of the day, like, I, I don't know, I, I, uh, I don't poo poo on direct response, like classic, <laughs> like hard direct response advertising as much as other people do. I just kind of say like, you know, it doesn't have to, we don't have to put it into envelopes and mail it to yeah. people. Like we can just exactly. adjust 100%. the medium and, and the, you can and actually the truncate it. Yeah. You can right. truncate down direct response marketing and we call it UGC. Right, exactly. And that, that's why I think it got so popular is because yeah. uh, good UGC would do that. Like it would actually yeah. act in that way. And brands are pretty afraid to do that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like for some reason, Absolutely. brands that like feels icky to them to yeah. like actually sell. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which is funny because I think this also comes from a mindset of like where we were told not to not to be like too egotistical, like don't let people just like you know, fluff you up all the time in this particular country, especially, uh, humility is highly valued, which is yeah. interesting because also work ethic and also hustle is <laughs> valued, which is like, wait a minute. And confidence. So and I'm not saying confidence not and humility confident. aren't, but like, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's so backwards. And the brands internalize that because brands are built for people. Right. Yeah. And, uh, it's, I, I say this a lot. So I think that, um, if you're 46 minutes into this podcast and you're listening and you're like, I have that problem of, of being like a little afraid to like really sell my product yeah. as hard as I can. Um, here's, here's something I've said to brands before that I don't know, maybe helps is like, do you think your product helps people? Like, does it legitimately help people make them help? Or does it make them happy? Does it solve the problem you say it solves or does it give them the solution that they're looking for? If the answer is yes, then you kind of have a responsibility to sell it as aggressively as you can or as effectively, let's say effectively, not yeah. aggressively. You have a responsibility to sell it effectively as you can. If you feel like it makes people's lives better, it makes the world a better place and you're like not getting it out there because you're like, I don't really want to be too pushy. Like 
you're doing a disservice to yeah. the people who would ultimately buy it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if that helps, but the opposite is true too, right? The people who are afraid that the answer to that would actually be no, if they're being honest, there's a reason. So yep. There's a reason they want to not, make sure so. they put that fluff in there. They got the slow motion shots. This will change your life forever. <laughs> like, you know, like all those things. And just why yeah. are you trying to convince yourself more than the people who yes. you're actually trying to market yeah. to? Yeah. Well, and remember, everybody needs to remember that people are already looking for your solution. So you're scared of going out there and selling this product, this brand that's like important to you because you built it from the ground up. It's like really deep into your identity. But you got to understand that somebody out there somewhere needs what you have and they just can't figure out where to meet you in the middle. They have not understood like where to find the solution yet. So they, they need it. They just need to figure yeah. out where to find it. That's yeah, you guys were talking extent. about different. Uh, oh, sorry, John was about to put a, a ribbon on the no, episode. I think. just said perfect. Uh, said, not on the episode. I got. I've got some. Uh, I've got one more thing I want to do here. But go ahead. I wanted to say just one quick piece about UGC and in, in kind of the the whole different mediums that people are comfortable with and how uh, we're kind of back in a time machine, back to like the old school like sales letter days. Same thing as UGC basically, but it really is about does this fit on the platform? That's what people want to see. Is it adapted to the platform in the right way? Because that's. I mean, I'm sure we've all seen the same thing. Like those are the ads that really go or when it feels native to the platform, because people need to be able to digest that messaging uh, properly from that medium they're, they're already yeah. acquainted with. So we're also way more media savvy or medium savvy than people back in the 1950s, because how many mediums did they have to deal with? You know, <laughs> <Not right>. two, <laughs> three, we have we have two, three different the exact same app basically on our phone totally. you know they're redundant and they all have a slightly different feel and marketers better be aware that those slight little things are what makes an ad work on yeah. instagram versus tiktok and all the other ones and, and yeah a dead on and uh, we so i would actually say we as marketers had to be less aware of the subtle differences right because there was uh there was fewer mediums Back then, they were probably very concerned about like, hey, we have this three-page newsletter, sales letter ad. How do we make it look as much like just an actual article they're reading as possible, right? Yeah. So they can get, basically get all the way to the pitch of this thing and more or less already be sold before they even realize that we're selling them something, subtle. right? Like that—that that was, yeah, that—that <laughs> that was what they thought about then, and we can yeah. still think about that now. But it's like if you're just repurposing, like you know, how you do that exactly on Instagram is not the same way you'd exactly do it on Snapchat, on TikTok, on Pinterest, right? Like you can't mm -hmm. just repurpose. Um, yeah. And there's more subtle differences across more mediums now. You're, you're absolutely right. So I want to get into something really quick because I think we started here and then we just like started talking. <laughs> um, what are what are some like quick tactics, quick takeaways, and either things that you're like, you're not doing this now, you should do this. Um, and you got into it a little bit at the, at the beginning, like get into Facebook groups or Reddit or Twitter or whatever in your topic, yeah. or wherever people talk about your topic online and actually like understand the community. Um, what are some other like quick tactics specifically in creatives? You know, is there any specifically like, you know, color psychology or copy or anything like that, that you're like, it, most brands could benefit by implementing something like. Yeah. Blank. Yeah. I, I think it's most important on the creative side, uh, after you've done all your research and after you've kind of figured out who you're actually targeting and what they feel on a daily basis um, as a part of the problem that they're trying to solve. The next piece of it is to understand paid advertising design, because this is something that as a designer has took me a while to master, honestly, because it's not the same as designing 
like a, a landing page or a brochure mm-hmm. or like a logo. Any, it's, it's not the same at all as, as designing any other piece of your brand, really. Paid advertising design really needs to come down to how the platforms get used. Everything scrolls up for the most part, mm-hmm. right? Like anytime you're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, it doesn't matter where you are, you're most always it, scrolling yeah. up, right? And that's on purpose because that's a psychological dopamine hit basically is what the, right. the platforms have built into themselves. But Facebook is a very different platform, even on the phone, um, like difference between like desktop and phone than TikTok is. TikTok is really interesting because it was basically built as a channel surfer, which if you're mm-hmm. like a nineties baby, you remember this where we were just like clicking the up button constantly to figure out which channel was coming up next. If you are not a nineties baby, you don't quite understand that like aspect of it, but that's what TikTok is. It's just channel mm-hmm. surfing. The aspect of channel surfing that comes into play is the, the fact that dopamine is a motivational neurotransmitter. It's not necessarily a like success or reward transmitter. So dopamine comes into play when you're looking for something to solve this like chemical need. And for most people, it's entertainment. <clears throat> so on TikTok, it's very important that you get the sound correct, not the hook. Like, please stop talking about hooks because it's ridiculous that we're so obsessed with the hook. Yeah. And I say that facetiously. <clears throat> the visual is not as important as the sound because people are going so freaking fast on TikTok that they're not looking at the images as they come up. All the mm-hmm. images are blending into one. If you've ever channel surfed, you know what this looks like. It's the sound that you have to hit first. Oftentimes, silence does better than like some crazy sound, like a, a boing sound or a squish sound or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Silence does wonders for the ears on TikTok because people aren't used to it. It's a better it's so noisy up. over there. Exactly. Better pattern ever. On Facebook, almost everything is in a square format, right? Very square, mm-hmm. very four by five. You have to make sure that you understand how to design things so that it will stop people in blocks. It's very grid-like over there. So mm-hmm. anything that has curves to it is going to be very eye-catching. Anything that has a border around it is going to be very eye-catching. And anything, please, dear God, brands, even if you have a blue and green color scheme, please pick another color because yep. you're just whitewashing yourself, blending into everything that's on it. So understand the platforms and how they work psychologically and then build around it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, and I love what you said about colors too, right? Like it's in, in, I don't know, it's simple. I don't mean to oversimplify it, but if you're looking for quick tactics, like honestly, look at your color scheme. If it's not like a really attention grabbing color scheme, mm-hmm. or if it's color scheme, that's already native to whatever platform you're doing a lot of advertising yeah. on. Like maybe just pick a color that's not in your scheme that is like more of a pattern interrupt. Um, I always say like if you're looking for somewhere to start, a good place to start is yellow. Like yellow, there's a lot of uh, research around yellow being like uh, one of the more attention grabbing colors for Mm -hmm. humans. Um, You know, red means stop, right? Like just things like that, right? But like, so it's simple, but like little things like that. Or like you're Uh, saying, putting curves into your design um, if you're on Facebook or on TikTok using silence. Um, the other way is even even thinking about like how has it come up? So on TikTok, you swipe up and a whole new thing flips over. Mm-hmm. But on Facebook, it like comes up gradually, right? Like not, not up, yeah. really gradually. Usually people are going fast, but like like it comes up continu- in like a continuous way. So in TikTok, it's like the whole thing all at once, right? Mm-hmm. On Facebook, it's like, okay, build this crap, this graphic, and even the copy, like think about it all from the top down. They're gonna see a couple words of copy or maybe emoji or whatever, something's mm-hmm. going to maybe catch their attention. Then they're going to see the top of a graphic all the way down. So like thinking about it, the way that it's going to come up yep. is important. Casey, what were you going to jump in on? 
yeah, that's actually one more thing I wanted to touch on too. Similar to those little hacks is like the aesthetic of your copy before people even have a chance to like intellectualize the words you've chosen to use. They're going to absorb the shape of your copy. And like, we know that like when people see a huge text wall, that's a big ask for them to read that whole thing. But it's, it goes way deeper than that. I mean, I think that I, I've had tests where just cleaning up like the shape of a copy and, and the right like formatting to copy really has a higher rate of, I guess I'm, I'm speculating, but higher rate of people actually being invested in that copy. Uh, but we see that in the ultimate, like people led to purchase more often. So that's kind of, some of those things are tough to find in the data precisely, but we make hypothesis hypotheses and we, uh, we see what happens. And, and I've found an effect even with like the aesthetic of copy, which most people say, what, like, why would you, yeah. why would you even care about that? Yeah. Every right. little piece matters, especially because on Facebook in particular, we usually process images about 60,000 times faster than text. So the image is what stops people but they've done lots of studies on purchaser intent for conversion rates on ads in particular. And if you're looking for shoes, the text is what's most important. So use an mm -hmm. image that's going to stop people. The image is very, very important on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. yeah. But then make sure your text has something of value. Don't forget that text. Like it's pretty right. important. Image, or that's why I, th I think that's why we get hung up on a hook a lot is because that first couple seconds of video is super important on meta and, Meta is still kind of the king of, of disruptive advertising for, mm -hmm. for D to C. So yeah, I mean like don't undervalue the hook for sure, but yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's more than just like have a good hook, right? It's yeah. think about like how it's being consumed and, and how Stop like, using the hooks that work <laughs> on your customer. <laughs> <laughs> Stop using hooks. Stop using hooks. Just don't no. use it. No, it's another hook and hold, right man. Here. Hook and hold. Those are the two that I, they, they're married together. You can't separate them. You can't okay. just hook and no hold. <laughs> yes. hook, and, ho hook and hold. Um, we call it the hook and bridge concept. I think we have a whole episode about it. <laughs> see if um, I remember to put the link up here for that. One. Some, yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay, last little thing, little little game here uh, that I'll play. I'm just making this up on the spot, so we'll see <laughs> how it goes. It's how uh, we do things here, honestly. <laughs> yeah, we don't plan. <laughs> Who planned? In this will be we'll call this the one sentence game okay i'm ready <laughs> in one sentence or less wait or less and so in one sentence don't use a sentence or fragment. Less. that's that's oh. gonna be that's gonna be too confusing if you because use because reasons is my yeah. answer because reasons <laughs> yeah uh in one sentence why do people buy things mm. answer that question okay in one sentence why do people buy things people buy things to satisfy a deep identity need that is coming out of the subconscious Interesting. Casey, do you have an alternative answer or a different one? Or a, wait, that is an alternative or another one? <laughs> Additive <laughs> or alternative? Uh, people buy things so that they can have it. I'll go simple with it. <laughs> that is, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. That's also uh, accurate. People buy things to run away from pain or toward pleasure. So, that would be mine. Yeah. Standard. Okay. I like it. All right. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, <laughs> But it like it that's the core of it, right? Or what was your what did you say? A deep identity need, mm -hmm. you know, or yeah. like uh or something more base, right? Like I'm hungry, I need food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very true. Um, that's part of your identity, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I was targeting the base. I identify like, as food. That, that's, that I identify as food. <laughs> I, I identify as hungry. So <laughs> I identify as someone who eats food. Uh, true. true. In one sentence. 
how do I make, how do I convince people to buy my product? Well, I mean, we already kind of talked about, I don't believe you can convince anybody to, but um, okay. In one sentence, how do I convince people to buy my product? Um, hit on the deep psychological need that they already have and then message towards the functional because everything comes out from emotional to functional. Yeah, I would, I guess, I mean, that's a good answer. I would go with something like recognize that you're the best option for the need they already have. Show you're the best option for the need they already have. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I have one for this one. Um, cool. Let me think for a second. Uh, you're the only one who knew the question. I, well, I kind of made it up. Yeah. <laughs> I. This is great uh, podcasting. Right. Yeah, I know. Like just sitting here silent for a while. We're going to cut this up anyway. So <laughs> after the live. John, let me ask um, you. Let me, me repitch it to you. John, in one sentence, how do you get people to buy things? Why do buy why, why do people buy things from you? Oh, we already answered how this one. How do I get how do I convince you? someone to I couldn't buy remember the exact wording. I'm trying to bail you how out. Do you, here, how do I convince them to buy buy your product? <laughs> you you have to make them believe that the value proposition is largely in their favor right so they're going to part so that's the that's the sentence but what i mean is like they're going to part with some money so they're going to be a net negative when they part with some money so like if they feel like oh i parted with 50 dollars and then i got this thing and then that thing makes them feel like i would have spent 500 dollars on that you've got to convince them that that's how they're going to feel Wait, that was more than one sentence, though. I know. Yeah, that was but the, so many. The sentences. sentence, the sentence is: you have to convince them that the value. Pro, you have to show them that the value proposition is heavily in their favor. Yeah, I will I say agree. from your answer, there's one thing I like a lot because it's more true now than ever. Because we're talking in D to C, where you click a button, you part with that money immediately. You don't get that thing for maybe a couple of days. Whereas mm -hmm. more traditionally, you know, decades ago, you'd be parting with money immediately receiving the thing. Yeah, so the impulse. Thing buying is a whole nother it's very different. Deal. Yep. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> all right one more oh in one sentence why do people buy from a brand why are people brand loyal people buy from a brand okay why do people buy from brand um people buy from brands mostly because they fit within the goal set of what they're trying to achieve for themselves whether that be identity socially emotionally yeah, I, I think that people buy from brands specifically because they would otherwise interact with said entity anyway, even if they had nothing to sell. Most Interesting. Often. Yeah, okay. Interesting. I think people buy from brands because they have an implicit trust toward the brand that they often can't like identify the core of. I mean, I suppose they I think could. We said kind of the same thing in three totally different ways. Like they fit <laughs> yeah. together well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we'll see if we play that game again. <laughs> we might uh, preload some questions. That's that's we should maybe think about it a little bit ahead of time. But uh, I liked no, it. It was very Twitter based. You know, it was yeah. very Twittery. Yeah. We'll cut it up. We'll cut it up. It'll sound better. You know, when we cut it up <laughs> yeah. and make it a clip. That's amazing. <laughs> Sarah, uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, one more thing I put you on the spot with is something we do on every episode is the parting shot. And this is the TLDR for the episode. So it's like, hey, if you take one thing away from this hour long conversation, 
uh, make it this, this is it. Um, I will hand it to you if you're ready for it. I'm ready. I'm so ready. All right. <clears throat> if you take one thing away from this entire hour long conversation, it would be this. Your consumers are a lot more complex than you think they are. Uh, they have very deep emotional needs, lots of big goals, lots of hopes and dreams that all play a role in how they purchase and how they go about finding those purchases. And your job as a marketer is to make sure that your brand aligns with what they expect, aligns with what they need, because branding is all about people. And in the end, that's why we're here is human selling to human. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Casey, say the YouTube things. Take us out. Modern Commerce, if you're this far into the video, of course you liked it. So please go ahead and actually drop a like onto the video so that YouTube gets in on some of that data like we talked about during this episode. Uh, also remember to hit the subscribe button so you're subscribed to our channel. You can join the uh, subscriptions gang um, and make sure you hit the bell icon to get notifications because we do these shows live. And if you want to hop in and participate in the live chat, you want to ask one of our wonderful guests uh, a question of your own, we can do that as well. So until next time, Modern Commerce, we'll see you.